Well, tonight we're kind of wrapping up to some degree our series on the New World Order that we started uh, several weeks ago now. Previously on a New World Order, we saw uh, Jesus come and be baptized by John the Baptist. And that was upside down because jo- Jesus should have baptized John, right? But that was a bit of an inkling. It was a bit of an insight into what Jesus was doing, this whole New World Order. He was going to turn everything upside down. And then, then we saw how he was tempted in the wilderness and chose, how he chose his disciples. And of course, they had no idea what it meant to say yes to Jesus. Their worlds were changed. We saw how he declared himself to be greater than the temple. And then last week, we learned that power must suffer. Tonight's a really, really important night. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, all the way through, we've learned time and time again, that Jesus came to introduce an idea and it was fundamentally this, it was fundamentally that you use your power and you are very powerful people, make no mistake about that. You use your power not to protect yourself, not to reinforce your position or manipulate others. You use your power to help other people. You use your resources, not to just, you know, get everything that you want. You use wealth to, to support and to help other people. You use your influence, not to make a way for yourself. You use the influence that Jesus has given you, that that the world has afforded you because you're born in the West. Use your influence to influence others. Now, here's the the, the, the funny thing, really, I, I think, in all of this, that this thought did not exist before Jesus came. Did you know before Jesus came, there's no such thing as charity, charitable institutions, right? I mean, we have charitable institutions, they Oxfam, you know, uh, World Vision, etc., etc. Those things didn't exist. Before Jesus came, if a nation was down on its luck, right? If there was, you know, uh, an unfortunate thing in a nation, other nations didn't help them, other nations took them over. Right? That's, that was the way of the world. And then Jesus came to introduce this new world order and tonight you're in you're you're here for a really really big night it's it's worked really well because this is actually palm sunday so happy palm sunday to you all uh if no one's wished you happy palm sunday yet um and uh and and it's important because uh jesus we're going to pick this up from jesus riding into jerusalem on the back of a donkey on palm sunday to establish this The three things, we'll put them on the border. Number one, a new covenant, right? This was a new arrangement between God and the world and his creation and man. Uh, This was going to be something, this wasn't like the old covenant plus a little bit. This wasn't like the old covenant twisted and changed. This was a whole new arrangement between God and his creation. A new movement was about to be started. And that movement, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you're part of the church, right? You are part of this movement that's just about to begin. You're going to see the origins of the thing that you are a part of. And, you know, we sung some of these songs tonight. They're singing them right now all around the world. On this day, there are millions of Christians. And as we move into this Passion Week, this really important week in our calendar, there'll be many, many millions, hundreds of millions of people all around the world probably singing that song we just sung there because it's a pretty popular song but songs like that if not that one exactly all around the world in this new movement that Jesus um, started called the church and there was a new commandment a, uh, 
a new overarching moral ethic that we're going to learn about uh, tonight that he would give. And, and the funny thing is they, they didn't understand it, although he dropped all these hints along the way. He'd say things like, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, and of course, who said it? Well, our parents said it, and who told them their parents? And it probably came from Moses. So he would say things like, Moses, the great leader of the Israeli nation out of bondage, Moses said this, but now I'm saying that. It's like, who do you think you are? I mean, Moses is, wow, you know, he's, he's revered in our history. And, and then to say that he was greater than the temple. If you're greater than the temple, we don't need the temple. Why have a temple if you're greater than the temple? But he was leading to this huge idea that was about to change everything in a religious system that valued physical cleanliness jesus introduced the idea that seemed to indicate that those with the purest heart had the dirtiest hands and and he would touch people with his hands sick people i mean he'd touch sick people unclean people and rather than him picking up their sickness they would pick up his wellness And it was upside down. It was weird. It wasn't the way it was supposed to work. But he he was bringing us into this this world that he was introducing that you and I were about to be swept up into and become a part of. And he's riding into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday today. And it says in John 12, 12, next day the great crowd had come to the festival. And the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem on this donkey. And what they did was they lined the streets and they yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's so remarkable that a few days later, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. (laughs) Isn't that credible? They're they're, they're getting um, uh, palm trees and putting them down and taking off their coats and all kinds of things. They're giving him a royal entrance, right? Because they're thinking, here comes Messiah. He's finally coming to the capital of Israel. That's right, it's not Tel Aviv. The capital of Israel, Jerusalem. And... uh, and they think he's coming from the villages and, you know, from the corners of the nation because he's going to establish now the Jewish people. This is the moment we've been waiting for, right? This is the moment that he's going to emancipate us from Roman occupation. He's going to rise up and he's going to lead the Jewish nation. He's going to establish himself in the capital. And there's all kinds of excitement because Messiah is here to redeem the nation. But he came not to do something for the nation, but he came to do something for the entire world. Something unusual happened. One of his closest friends, a fellow by the name of Judas, he gets tired of, of waiting for Jesus to, to make his move, to show his true colors, to, to be the Messiah that rises up against Roman occupation in Israel. And so, so Judas thinks, you know what's going to happen? He's going to get to Jerusalem. He's going to, do all this, he's going to do all this kind of service stuff, you know, this last shall be first stuff, and that doesn't work. The last to be first stuff doesn't help us. So, so he decides he's had enough. He's going to corner Jesus so that Jesus has to make a move. And so he goes to the high priests who have been trying to get at him for, for ages. And they just can't separate him from the crowd. And they want to arrest him in front of the crowd because they'll have a riot. So Judas goes to the high priests, right, the, the, the leaders of, of the temple. And he says to them, okay, guys, listen, listen, listen. You want to get this guy without a crowd? I'll set it up for you. What's it worth? And so they pay him 30 pieces of silver. And Judas does a deal uh, with the opposition, so to speak, that you give me the money and I'll give you what you want 
and, uh, and there'll be, no one will get hurt. There'll be no crowds. And so in Luke 22, verse 6, it says, He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand over Jesus when the crowd wasn't present. But before he did that, Jesus had some loose ends to tie up. And so he rides into Jerusalem, and he, he, he says to his guys, We're going to find this room, this upper room, where we're going to have the Passover now, that doesn't mean much for you, and in a, probably. And in a moment's time, we're going to have communion at the back. We're going to do something special around that tonight. So uh, that's important. But this was the first time that, that they kind of got this idea that Jesus, because they had Passover for years. You know, they had Passover since they could remember their parents had had Passover, their parents and their parents have had Passover. Passover had been celebrated in Jewish culture since they left Egypt like thousands of years earlier. Right? So this had been going on since time immemorial. Passover, remember when Moses took us out of Egypt because the whole Israeli nation was in slavery in Egypt. This is history for 400 years. And finally, they, they, uh, they slay these lambs, take the blood, put on doorposts and lintel, and the angel of death comes and, and all these you know, um, Egyptian people die. But no, Jewish people die. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. And so they remembered deliverance that came through the shed blood of this lamb and so every year they would have this Passover celebration and so it's Passover time but Jesus says this crazy thing he says from now on right from now on from this time forward when you have Passover this is not about Moses it's not about Egypt from now on it's about me it's kind of like what he's making Passover about him our tradition that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, who does he think he is? That from now on, Passover is going to be all about him. But of course, he was signaling the end of the conditional covenant with the nation of Israel and this unilateral permanent covenant with the world. So um, months before this, he dropped all these hints the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, they've been trying to arrest him for months, as I said, and they couldn't get through because the crowds were always there. And they tried many times to trap him. They asked him questions. And there's one part, and we can read it for yourself in Matthew 22, to ask him all these questions, trying to, trying to trap him. But Jesus is always one step ahead of them with this profound wisdom. He's always making them look stupid. They're always sending him away with their tail between their legs. And matter of fact, it says uh, in, in 22 verse 34 of Matthew, it says, hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together. Uh, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. So they got sick of being you know made to look stupid and so they got their their best dude right they got their smartest guy an expert in law he was a lawyer he was a priest he was well studied he was quick of mind and and they're sending him out to to have a mental uh, uh duel with jesus and, and he asked jesus this really dorothy dix question right this is a simple this is an easy question but he had a supplementary question, a follow-up question that was supposed to nail Jesus, but he didn't get to ask it. He says to Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Now, of course, the truth is, everybody in the crowd could have answered that question. This guy knew the answer to that question. As Jesus answered this question, probably half the crowd was mouthing it with them, right? It's kind of like, you ever, you know, you listen to a band sing your favorite song, and what do you do? You mouth the song with it because you know the words, right? 
Uh, well, they would have known this so clearly, they would have mouthed the response that Jesus would have given. When Jesus said, right, the greatest commandment, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment to which the expert was about to come in with another question that was going to you know, sort of knock Jesus over. But Jesus stops him and says, oh, but there's a second part. Second in sequence, but, but, but not necessarily second in greatness. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and what Jesus was doing, right? Well, he just took a verse from Deuteronomy Levit- Leviticus and put them together, which had never happened before. We're going to get onto that in a moment. But what he's doing, he just signaled something. He just let you in on something. Did you pick it up? Something profound, something revolutionary, something just changed. And it was this. It wasn't just in the Christian religion, right? But it was in every religion. Every religion said that you can love God and not really get on with people and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Right? So that your love for God had no real influence on the relationship you had with the people in your world. So in other words... You could love God and not speak to your, you know, not, not speak to your father. You could love God and not have any relationship with your children. You could love God and completely be estranged from your family. You know, I, I, I've been, I've offered the sacrifices, I've done everything, you know. You could love God and you could talk about your boss or you could talk about whoever in, in a really harsh fashion and it didn't matter. Jesus just drew a line under that and said, things are about to change. There's no difference between your love for God and your love for your neighbor. He then went on and said this, all of the law and all of the prophets, in other words, all of your holy scriptures, because there's no Old Testament, as we learned last week, there was no Old Testament. It was just the Holy Scriptures. It was just their, their religious book. All of, your, all of your religious book hangs on these two big ideas, love God and love people. So when you're reading Ezekiel and you can't figure out the wheels between wheels, come back to this. Right? When you're reading Jeremiah and think this guy's crying again, what's wrong with this bloke? Come back to this. Everything you read in your holy uh, uh, book hangs on these two profound significant ideas love God and love people he's just said that love for God is best illustrated demonstrated and authenticated by love for others and he took these two uh, big Jewish ideas these two they're all in the, the Jewish scriptures love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself the difference is in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, which says love your neighbor it defines your neighbor you know how it defines neighbor it defines neighbor as other Jews. So if you're a Jew, you'd love other Jews as you love yourself. Well, how many know Jesus is about to throw that out the window in his new world order? Because someone comes to him and says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story. You know what that story is, don't you? It's called the good Samaritan. And of course, the Samaritan, the Jews hated each other. And Jesus puts out the idea that your neighbor is not just another person like you, it's not just somebody who really even likes you <laughs> because the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, right? What he's saying here is that your neighbor is anyone with a need that you can meet. 
and he puts a whole new thought over what a neighbor or who a neighbor is. And all of that, of course, is leading up to this moment, the Passover, where Jesus brings these guys together and he says, now, from now on, this is all about me. It's not about that, it's about me. And that, they would have been scratching their head. And then he did something that embarrassed them all. He, he, he got a, a, a bowl and he got a, 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 a towel and he gets down and he washes everybody's feet. And Peter, you're not washing my feet. <laughs> it's embarrassing. You, you're, you're God, aren't you? What's God washing my feet for? This isn't right. And Jesus said, if, you can't wash, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part of me. No, wash all of me, he says. And then, and then, he, and then he makes this, other, this next statement. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And I must have thought, oh, come on. You've already given us two. <laughs> you took 600 and whatever it was, 600 and something, and you've brought it down to two. Love God and love people. And now there's a third, right? What could it be? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And what could the third one be? If it can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> so so, so what, he, what, what, he does was, what he does is he says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. To which they would have said, that's not new. And to which he would have said, I'm not through. <laughs> love one another as I have loved you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself anymore no 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 that's been superseded that was that was the golden rule now we have the platinum rule <laughs> to love others as i have loved you and you could just you could just see in the room right you just come to the room with me for a minute because in the room there's matthew and he looked at matthew and said matthew what were you before I loved you? Uh, I was a tax collector, sir. And what's that? That's worse than a ball tamperer. How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> a tax collector was treasonous in Jewish culture because a tax collector, he was taking Jewish money and giving it to Rome. So, so if you became a tax collector, right? that's not like someone who works for the ATO. That's somebody who sold their soul to the devil <laughs> as far as the Jews are concerned. And Matthew, I asked you to follow me, didn't I? Even though you know, your lifestyle was so opposite to what I came to, to, to bring. Yes, that's right, Jesus. And what did I do when I said, follow me? Where did we go? You came to my house, Matthew, which Peter could have well spoken up. I remember that night. That was the most embarrassing night of my life. Oh, my goodness, I have a reputation, you know. I don't want to be seen with this, this lot. And yet you had this party with this, 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 you know, this tax collector, this drug pusher, if you will, and he brings all his drug pusher mates around, and we have this party, and you, you make us go. It was, shut up, Peter. It was, Matthew, you know how I loved you? Yes, yes, sir. I want you to love others like that. There's Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, remember what you said about me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> you dumped on me and my whole family from Nazareth. You dumped on my school, my little league team, everybody. He said, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I know you said that before I called you. And did I ever mention it? Do I ever bring it up? No, I just loved you. Now you go and love others. 
as I have loved you. And he could look at them all. And, and, and I don't know how many of you know this, but when he fed the 5,000, plus women and children, 20,000 with a few, few fish and bread, and, and the crowds were thronging, and these guys thought they were rock stars. These disciples, they thought, man, we've made the big time. There's like 20,000 plus people following us. Everybody wants a piece of us. We are the rock stars in town. And then Jesus, maybe he didn't have his best day because he says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And with that, everyone sort of went, yuck, that's horrible. And they started disappearing. And we lost the crowd that day and you started fearing that this, you know, the, the, the Pharisees were going to take us. And you guys just started all just sort of disappearing. Remember when I caught you? Oh, yeah. And I said, are you going too? And you didn't know what to do, did you? And did I ever bring it up again? Did I ever say, I can't trust you because you're not loyal? Did I ever say, you're only with me till you get a better offer? You're only here for what you can get out of me? Did I ever accuse you of anything like that? Never. No, that's right. Now, I want you to love others as I have loved you. You tried to unfollow me, but I never unfriended you. And of course, we're three days before the, the, the resurrection and the crucifixion. And, and, and the, they, the love that you've seen from me, man, you're about to see something that's going to blow your mind. And his point was basically this, that your love for me and your heavenly father is demonstrated by the way you treat the people in your world, by the way you speak to the people who are closest to you, by the way you handle. You, you, can't, you can't pretend that you're some kind of Christian and you've got this vertical relationship if your horizontal world is in shambles. That, that, that doesn't work anymore. That's not the ethic of this new thing called the church. He gave us one rule. Their old system was complicated with laws. This system was far less complicated, but how many know far more demanding? Right? Let, let, let me explain why. And I, I, need you to tell, I need you to promise me you won't tell anybody this, okay? Because this is just between you and me. But why this is so important, one law? Because when you have two laws... There's a gap. And when you have a gap, you can create a loophole. Anybody here who's raised teenagers will know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I told you to be home by 10, but you didn't say which home, right? I was home by 10. This wasn't a day this home. Did you mean, you, you need to be more specific, mum, right? If you want me at our home, you need to say our home. I was home by 10. I was at his house. I did what I was told. Come on, right? Every teenager in the house, you know how to pull loopholes out of what you're told. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it's not just a teenage, uh, uh, you know, it's not just something that teenagers do. Uh, it's not a, per, a, a peculiarity of teenagers, but it's what the legal system's all about. <laughs> if you're a lawyer, that's what your job is. Find a loophole and exploit it. Exploit it. That's your job. And, and, and that's the danger of having laws. Right? When you have a whole bunch of laws, guess what? You can always find a loophole. That's what's so genius about this. That's why you just look at Jesus and you go, oh gosh, even if you're not the son of God, I'm going to follow you because you're just so clever. 
Because here's the thing, right? How many of you, this is what happens to people like me. Maybe you've wanted to come and see me or maybe you have and no aspersions, okay? But this is what happens to people like me. People come in and say, what does the Bible say about this, pastor? And you know what's going on. They just want to do it, right? They just, you know, I know what it says about A, but I, can I get away with B? Can I get away with it? I just want to do it, okay? <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, as, uh, the Bible doesn't seem to be clear about it. There's not a real clear framework around it. The Bible's silent about this. So it must be okay, right? And, and how many, and don't put your hands up, but, but here's the thing, right? The, 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 the question in the old covenant was this. What does the law say? The question that exists in old covenant thinking church members is what does the Bible say? You know the problem with that question? I can get the Bible to say just about anything. Particularly if I can use the Old Old Testament. You can find a Bible verse to justify just about anything that you want to do. And the truth is, most of you don't know what the Bible says. Most of you had no idea when Jesus said, love the Lord your God, do your heart, soul, and strength, and of yourself. Most of you had no idea that he was taking a verse from Leviticus and a verse from Deuteronomy and putting them together. Most of you had no idea. But here's the point. You don't always know what the Bible says. Let's just be honest. You don't always know who you should listen to. You don't always know who you should follow. But if you're going to be really honest with yourself, if the question, if the the Jesus follower question is really, what does love require? You pretty much can figure that out. What does love require? Oh, gee. (laughs) It's far less complicated, but it's far more demanding. And rather than try to find a verse to justify what I'm doing, (laughs) rather than find somebody who can say, what I want to do is okay, I've got to answer this question. What does love demand in this situation? How does love respond? What does love do? You see, the rest of the New Testament outside of this is nothing but commentary, history, and opinion. The rest of the New Testament hangs off this one idea. Let me prove it to you uh, by just a few random verses we could almost go anywhere with this because the truth is Paul the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament he gets this he says in Ephesians 4.32 be kind and compassionate to one another why? forgiving each other why? because I'm telling you to and I'm the apostle Paul No, why? because the Bible says and you've got to do what the Bible says no what does Paul say? he says just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul takes that thought. Everything in the Bible is that thought interpreted through the New Testament. Love others as I have loved you. What does love require? This is where the the Daniel series (laughs) has met the New World Order series. You see, why be kind? The Bible says love is patient. Why be patient? Because Jesus is patient and kind with us. The Bible says don't dishonor one another. Now, if you ever wondered, like sexually, right? What, what, you know, what does the Bible say I can get away with sexually? You know, with, with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever. Uh, or, you know, my boss or whatever it might happen to be. Uh, <laughs> what can I get away with sexually? Uh, the, the Bible says love does not dishonor, right? Uh, 
See, here's the problem. We think, we think if they're consenting, it's okay. If both consent, it's okay. But, but here's the thing about dishonor, right? Dishonor has to do with their children, has to do with their potential spouse, their, 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 their one-day spouse, and it has to do with their family, with their mother, their father, and so forth. So it's not just about the person. What you've got to do is you just can't get the yes from them. You've got to check with their mother and father. You've got to check with their spouse, and you check with their children. If you get an okay there, then maybe it's all right, right? Because <laughs> the, the point is, is that when, when, when you honor somebody, you honor not just that person, you honor their whole family. You honor their life. And so it's not, well, she wanted to do it, and so, or he wanted to do it. No, the question is, what does love require? And love requires honoring not just that person, but that person's entire family. See, the beauty of this, the beauty of this idea that Jesus gives us is that there's no wiggle room. <laughs> you can't get loopholes when there's just one law. You can't sneak around the edge or nip between the two. This is genius. You know, you want to, you know, you want a series on relationships. You know, marriage. Man, we need some help with marriages, don't we? You know, what, 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 how, what are we doing for marriages? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul said. In your relationships with one another. See, some people say, give me a 15-week series on marriage, you know. Give me a 15-week series on family, on relationships. The Apostle Paul says this, in your relationships with one another, what? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, love others as I have loved you. That's the end of the story. If you take that and then you say, okay, now in relation to my spouse, I've got to work this out. That's all the marriage counseling in the world right there. I have to love you as Jesus who laid down his life for me has loved me. And that takes the 16 weeks and I'm not opposed to all that kind of stuff. But Paul just cuts straight to the chase. He says this. He says in uh, uh, Ephesians 5, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Right? Oh, that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Walk in the way of love. (laughs) And, and, And some people would read that and think kind of romantic love. The thing about romantic love is, how many know this? If you've watched Married at First Sight, I haven't, but I'm sure if you have, <laughs> you'll find that romantic love is full of loopholes, full of ways out, full of options. That's not what he's talking about. He says, Dear, uh, dearly um, uh, loved children, walk in the way of love. And what does he say next? Just as Christ loved us. It's the same idea again. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. Hey, hey, now listen, listen, listen. You've got to get this. Have you heard of the Ark of the Covenant? You've heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Hands up, have you heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This is the Mark of the Covenant. You may have heard of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, was a box that carried the presence of God. In this new arrangement in this new covenant we don't have an ark of the covenant anymore what we have is a mark of the covenant 
And what does that mark look like? Well, you just, you, you see it here. And, and, and what is so incredible about this, folks, is that this idea is absolutely appalling. This, this idea is rubbish in the culture in which Jesus is living. I don't know how many of you have ever watched you know, documentaries on Rome, but I can tell you now, Rome is all about two things, victory and strength. It's all about winning and being on top. And in this culture, which is all about strength and it's all about victory, right? Jesus brings this whole idea that, no, no, the greatest lays down his life. Wow. I've got to tell you, seriously, it's an absolute miracle that Christianity gets out of the first century because the temple was after it with all of its power and Rome was after it. I mean, Rome accommodated the temple. They had to deal with the temple, but not this Jesus thing. They thought, well, what is this, this new uh, cult that's rising up? We've got to squash it. And so the might of the Roman Empire tried to squash it and they threw Christians to lions and they burnt them at stakes. And all the way through, the driving ethic, right? This is what you gotta, this is what you gotta get in your head. This is so powerful because it's coming back, right? It's coming back. That culture persecuted the followers of Jesus. How many know that the church is being pushed to the margins a bit right now in this culture? That, that, that you know, you go to church, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you're a, you're a Jesus person? Oh, they're a bunch of pedophiles. You know what's happening right now to Cardinal George Pell? Apparently they're dropping half the, half the charges on Monday. I can share other things with you, but I, I'm not going to right now, but I will in the future, I think. And this society is out to get the church. But you know something? That's fantastic. <laughs> because the church has always done best from the margins. Provided we've understood our role, provided we've understood that it's not about us being loved, it's not about us being you know, accepted, it's not about us being strong, it's about us laying down our lives for others. And what happened, folks, and if you have a look at this, this is, this is a, a matter of history, this is not my opinion, right? This is, this is not just a, you know, a nice sermon, this is a matter of fact, that, that 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Emperor Constantine declared Christianity to be the religion of the Roman Empire <laughs> after 300 years of trying to destroy it finally he capitulates to it it had no army it had no land it had no sword and yet it triumphed why did it triumph? I tell you why it triumphed folks it triumphed because it was full of people who understood something they understood what Jesus introduced to the world on this monumental day as, as the Passion Week, he's looking down the, the, the barrel of, of being crucified. As we are today, this is, this is perfect timing, folks. What a night that Passover was. Jesus made it all about himself. He canceled Moses' remembrance and said, no, it's all about me. You're going to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then he washes their feet. Judas leaves to go and get the, um, the army, the, 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 the Jewish leaders, they're going to get the Romans coming, or the temple guards to come and, come and get him. And then he, he gives this new covenant, he becomes this new lawgiver, this new command. And then he goes to 
the garden of Gethsemane and he prays. He says to the disciples, pray and they fall asleep. And he wakes them up. He says, pray. He goes back and he prays and they fall asleep. He goes back, wakes them up and then boom, Judas turns up with the Roman, um, with the temple guard. And there could have been been hundreds of, of soldiers to arrest one, one man, Jesus. And, and, and the, 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 in the end, the 11 left, the disciples, they all run, they all flee. And, and the whispers are around that Jesus has been taken to the high priest for trial. But then they've gone to Pontius Pilate with him. And that, that only means one thing. The only reason they've gone to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, is because they need Roman authority to kill him. They could do anything to him they wanted to, but kill him outside of approval from Rome. So the fact that they've gone to Pilate means Jesus is dead. And it's only a matter of time till we are all dead. And they run and flee and hide and they're scared. Just like sometimes you are when people start asking you about your faith. But then something happened. And of course we celebrate it uh, this, this time next week. Something changed them. They didn't believe the musicians want to come. That'd be great. Uh, they didn't believe that. Um, they didn't believe uh, that he'd risen from the dead. They doubted. You know something? It's you know we we we, ram, we, we sometimes the Pentecostal church in particular we get really down on doubters. Jesus didn't. It's, you know, if you doubt, Jesus doesn't turf you out. <laughs> Thomas doubted. Jesus didn't turf him out. Jesus showed him his nail scarred hands. But the truth is. If I'm following a guy and he dies, predicts his death and resurrection, then he doesn't, I'm in. <laughs> and, 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 and Thomas and, and the rest of them saw Jesus' resurrection and, and, and something profound happened. They went, every one of those guys went off and died giving their lives away for others. They all died. None of them, none of them lived to, to, to die of old age. You could argue John, maybe, but he was exiled to, to an island they all suffered but here's the thing they didn't suffer for what they believed in right you must understand this they didn't suffer for what they believed in people die for what they believe in all the time they didn't suffer for the cause what was the cause they suffered they died because they'd seen something they'd seen the resurrection and they couldn't deny it People don't die often for what they saw. They didn't die for what they believed. They struggled believing it. But when they saw it, they couldn't deny it. And the world killed them for what they had seen. But you know something? What they had seen caused them not to fear death. They didn't fear man. Hey, if you can't kill me, what can you do to me? (laughs) If death has no you know, negative effect, give, give it your best shot. If you know that the man's facing you with a gun and there's no bullet in it, well, it doesn't sort of it transfer a lot of fear, does it? And that's how they were from then on. Fear of death was gone because Jesus has come back from the dead. So we know that the ultimate cause of fear, death, it's gone. If death's gone, the fear of death is gone, then what do we need to be afraid of? And so they, because had no need of fear, they were free to love, you see. 
They were free to give themselves away because fear had gone. The fear of death. And they knew we're in. We've got it. We've got the command, the new commandment, the one command. And we're going to move into this world and we're going to turn it upside down or right side up. And they did. And the truth is, as um, uh, Rick Watts said last week, uh, your iPhone, you owe to Jesus Christ. Uh, Everything that you bask in in Western culture, you owe to innovative thinking that comes from the teachings of Jesus. It changed the world. And today, we are the beneficiaries of it. I want us to stand together. We're going to participate in what these disciples did 2,000 odd years ago in that upper room. And uh, these guys are going to quietly sing a song and you're going to go and fetch your communion and bring it back to where you're standing. It's on the tables behind you. Thank you. Very kind of you. I I don't have to go and get mine. It's been bought to me. (laughs) But you have to go and get yours. So as these guys just sing a uh, a bit of a tune, (laughs) uh, make your way. And you know something? You're going to bump into one another, as I said last week. That's okay, right? It's not a formal thing. It's a visceral. It's 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 a it's a gut thing. It's a hey. This is this is the the, the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus.